Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on the shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcast at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast or a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com. You can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from France 24, NHK Japan, Radio Havana Cuba, and Sputnik Radio. We will begin with France 24. First, two pieces from a press review. Incumbent President Macron will face far-right candidate Marine Le Pen in the final election on April 24th. In 2017, the candidates faced each other with Macron receiving two-thirds of the votes, but this time it will be closer. As a result of a 13-year drought, Chileans are looking at water rationing. European countries are moving toward increased renewable energy, with Spain greatly expanding wind and solar power. Wind is the leading source of energy in the country, and the goal is to have 74% of their energy from renewable sources by 2030. Germany is building floating solar power plants on abandoned quarry lakes. France 24. And time now for the press review. For that, I'm joined in the studio by Dipti Laurent. Hi, Dipti. Hi, Annette. And the electoral campaigns of Emmanuel Macron and Marine Le Pen, of course, are well underway ahead of that second round of voting on April 24th. No, no surprise. The international press, of course, closely observing this election campaign. And what are they saying about the fact that we're having a repeat of what we had in 2017 with Macron once again facing off Le Pen? Well, it's funny, um, Annette, the French, uh, the foreign papers, rather, are really seeing this election uh, through the eyes of a sort of Macron and NATO versus Marine Le Pen and uh, Russia in the current context of war in Ukraine. Indeed, Marine Le Pen's past admiration for Vladimir Putin, which is something she's tried to distance herself from, it's still nonetheless something that a lot of the papers are focusing on. Let's show you the editorial of the Washington Post today. They're almost pleading with Emmanuel Macron to, quote, give his all in this electoral fight for the sake of France, but also for the sake of Europe. Uh, the editors also call France the new front in the war against Putinism. Uh, meanwhile, international and political editor Peter Harter writes in today's Sydney Morning Herald about this, quote, ascendant Putin fan club in Europe that's prevalent in three elections. You've got Viktor Orban. Uh, the pro-Putin leader of Hungary who was re-elected earlier this month. There's Marine Le Pen, of course, but there's also Serbia's Alexander Vucic, whose country is almost wholly reliant on Russian gas. Peter Harter writes that this fan club is proof that the, quote, frontline assault on Western liberal dem democracy is not only a distant physical phenomenon, but that the enemy lies within as well. And Marine Le Pen will no doubt be taken to task on her links to Russia in the next two weeks. And if we head to Latin America, there's a big story happening in Chile where the country is facing water rationing as a result of a catastrophic drought. 
Well, this is something I didn't know. Chile is facing an unprecedented 13-year drought uh, that's seen its uh, two of its uh, major rivers' water levels dwindle. As a result of this, the government's announced for the first time a new system that they're going to implement um, in Santiago, the capital that's home to 6 million people. It'll start with a color-coded system, then public service warnings, and then reduced water pressure. And finally, uh, some citizens could face rotating water cuts of up to 24 hours. The governor of Santiago is quoted as saying, you know, climate change is not just global, it's happening at a local level now. Time now for an update on the day's business news. Well, as the US president urged India not to increase its use of Russian oil, European countries are stepping up their efforts to move away from Russian gas. To discuss this and more, I'm joined by Yuka Royer from our business desk. Yuka, tell us all the latest. Well, Sharon, we don't know if the war in Ukraine will be a, could be a catalyst for change in energy, but it has certainly um, prompted European nations to speed up their efforts to move towards renewables. Now, Spain has turned to wind power, which has now become its main source of electricity. Germany is exploring the benefits of installing floating solar, solar plants. Catherine Biet has more. Dotted throughout the landscape of Vilar de los Navarros in northeastern Spain, giant wind turbines. This site, developed by a Spanish-Italian firm, is one of the country's largest wind farms. Thanks to investment in the sector, there are more than 1,200 wind farms across the country, making Spain Europe's second biggest wind producer after Germany and the fifth largest in the world. Spain is a country with tremendous potential as an energy store for the whole of Europe. The resource capacity we have in Spain in terms of wind and sun, the territory we have and the productive fabric we have at an industrial level could make Spain a major clean energy producer for Europe. Last year, the sector became Spain's leading source of electricity, coming ahead of nuclear power and gas. By 2030, Madrid has set itself an ambitious goal to increase the share of renewables and electricity to 74 percent. And Spain isn't the only country looking for greener alternatives. In the wake of Moscow's invasion of Ukraine, Germany has been seeking ways to end its dependence on Russian oil and gas imports. One company is building a floating solar power plant at an abandoned quarry lake that will be able to provide three megawatts of electricity the equivalent of a single offshore wind turbine. We have taken a close look at the potential for floating solar plants in Germany, and I believe that this is just the start of a major shift into renewable energy on water surfaces. The company says there are enough unused lakes for Germany to generate about 20 gigawatts of solar energy on water. Those reports were from France 24. France 24 may be easily found at their website, france24.com. They also have a YouTube channel called France 24 English. Next, NHK Japan. In the Chinese commercial capital of Shanghai, there has been a three-week lockdown because of COVID, leading to a food and supply shortages. President Biden met online with Indian Prime Minister Modi about Ukraine. Modi has spoken to both Putin and Zelensky and attempted to get them to dialogue. And Biden warned India against buying Russian oil. 
A U.S. Navy nuclear aircraft carrier is conducting a joint military drill with Japanese Defense Forces in the Sea of Japan. A memorial museum in Hiroshima has reset a peace clock that shows the number of days since the world's most recent nuclear weapons test. It was a protest against U.S. subcritical nuclear tests conducted in June and September of last year in Nevada, NHK Japan. Tensions are rising among residents of the Chinese commercial capital of Shanghai. The city has entered its third week of a lockdown against the COVID pandemic, and for many, tempers have reached a boiling point. This video on social media purportedly shows the city's top Communist Party official, Li Chiang, visiting a Shanghai neighborhood on Monday. He's confronted by angry residents who say food and other daily necessities are in short supply. Chinese media report that Li told the residents that he would do his best to reduce the effects of the lockdown on people's lives. Chinese media have not reported the alleged incident. Li is an ally of Chinese President Xi Jinping. He's rumored to be slated for a promotion to a top leadership post at the Party Congress to be held later this year. Shanghai authorities reported 26,330 new infections on Tuesday. Lockdowns are in place in many parts of the city, with millions of people confined to their homes and struggling to get daily supplies. U.S. leaders have tried to coordinate with their allies. President Joe Biden met online with Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi to discuss security that's being shaken by the invasion. The United States and India are going to continue our close consultation on how to manage the destabilizing effects of this Russian war. India's external affairs minister and defense minister are in Washington to meet with their counterparts. So they joined the meeting. Biden welcomed India's support for Ukrainians, including medicine and other supplies. I have spoken to the presidents of Russia and Ukraine many times on the phone. I not only appealed for peace, but I also suggested President Putin hold direct talks with the president of Ukraine. Modi condemned the killing of civilians in the Kyiv suburb of Bucha. But his government is still buying Russian energy, something Biden said that's not in India's interest. The U.S. and many of its allies have moved to reduce their reliance on Russian oil and gas. Over the past few months, the Indians have also bought Russian air defense systems. U.S. officials have warned them of sanctions. Still, Biden underscored their partnership. The U.S. and India, along with Japan and Australia, are members of a security alliance known as the Quad. The leaders discussed Chinese military activities in the Indo-Pacific. They say they'll pick up those discussions next month when they meet in person in Tokyo. The U.S. Navy has disclosed that one of its nuclear-powered aircraft carriers is conducting a joint drill with Japan's Maritime Self-Defense Force in the Sea of Japan. The move is believed to be an effort to deter North Korea from launching a ballistic missile or carrying out a nuclear test. The 7th Fleet told NHK on Tuesday 
that the USS Abraham Lincoln Carrier Strike Group is conducting routine bilateral operations. An official from the fleet said the operations are to reassure allies and partners of the U.S. commitment to maintaining a free and open Indo-Pacific. The official added the training enhances the credibility of conventional deterrence. Japan's defense ministry officials also said that its destroyer Inazuma is taking part in the drill. The Abraham Lincoln had conducted a carrier-based air demonstration in the Yellow Sea in March after North Korea repeatedly tested ballistic missiles. This is the first known deployment of a U.S. carrier in the Sea of Japan since early 2017, when North Korea tested an ICBM and held a nuclear test. A museum in Hiroshima that memorializes the atomic bombing of the city in 1945 has reset a clock that shows the number of days since the world's most recent nuclear weapons test. The adjustment was made to protest two U.S. subcritical nuclear tests conducted in 2021. The Hiroshima Peace Memorial Museum in the western Japanese city reset its peace clock on Wednesday. This came in response to information about nuclear weapons tests in the U.S. that fell short of reaching critical explosive force. The second of the two tests came 209 days earlier. The U.S. National Nuclear Security Administration told NHK on Wednesday that the tests were carried out in Nevada on June 22nd and September 16th, They were the first of their kind under President Joe Biden, who backs former President Barack Obama's call for a world without nuclear weapons. In 1992, the U.S. government announced a moratorium on tests involving nuclear explosions. But successive administrations have carried out subcritical tests on the grounds that they do not produce nuclear blasts. Speaking to reporters on Thursday, Museum Director Takigawa Takuo voiced dismay. I hope that a halt will be put to such tests. The director stressed that information about the tests comes amid heightened concern over the possibility of such weapons being used in conflict. Those reports were from NHK World Radio Japan. They are now heard from 9.30 to 10 p.m. at 7355 and 6165 or on the web at www.3.nhk.or.jp. All the times I announce are for Pacific Daylight Saving Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. On to Radio Havana, Cuba. The U.S. published its most recent report on human rights globally. Kathy Scott Clark spoke about her new book called The Forever Prisoner, exposing controversial methods of dealing with men held captive by the CIA at Abu Ghraib and Guantanamo Bay prisons. Israeli forces have been killing Palestinians in retaliation for Palestinians murdering Israelis. Scientists around the world have been taking part and being arrested in climate protests led by Extinction Rebellion. Radio Havana, Cuba. The United States published Tuesday its most recent annual report on human rights globally, a document in which it ignores its internal problems and points out concern for what happens in other countries, such as Cuba. 
the decks prepared by the State Department classifies other countries as good or bad, according to its own guidelines. The decks report corresponding to the 2021 fiscal year is the second one published by Joe Biden's administration, and as last year, it reports Cuba's attitude but leaves out that for more than 60 years, they have imposed the economic, commercial, and financial blockage on the island. The island's foreign minister, Bruno Rodriguez, assured that the United States lies to justify the criminal blockade measures that violate the human rights of the Cuban people. The section dedicated to Cuba in the U.S. report refers to the July 11, 2021 riots when hundreds of people took the streets of the island encouraged from abroad. Havana affirms that these protests, which occurred amid a tense situation caused by COVID-19 and the economic blockade, included violent acts and were part of a campaign promoted by Washington to push for a regime change in the Caribbean nation. A new book has come up with shocking details of the top American spy agency's controversial torture program in the early years of the U.S.'s so-called War on Terror. Kathy Scott Clark, a British journalist and author, speaking at a virtual panel hosted by the New America Think Tank on Monday, introduced her forthcoming book, The Forever Prisoner, which will hit the stands next week. Scott Clark revealed details of an undisclosed meeting of the U.S. Central Intelligence Agency, the CIA, where senior intelligence officers discussed various controversial methods to deal with individuals subjected to rendition and, quote, enhanced interrogation techniques, while examining several options, including holding them in detention, transferring them to another country, and prosecuting them. One top official was cited as asking, quote, why don't we just kill them? Scott Clark said in a virtual panel, quote, I found It a bit alarming to hear revelations like that. The book focuses on the case of a Guantanamo inmate, Abu Zubaydah, who was interrogated using techniques that amounted to torture, including being waterboarded 83 times in one month, hung naked from a ceiling, and deprived of sleep for 11 consecutive days. Clark, who co-authored six books with journalist Adrian Levy, interviewed several top U.S. military and intelligence officials, including James Mitchell, one of the architects of the torture program. She also said that despite persistent denial from U.S. officials, there is a link between Mitchell and other creators of the CIA's torture program and gross abuse that occurred at the notorious Abu Ghraib prison in Iraq, which was captured by the U.S. following the 2003 invasion of the country. The prison was the scene of rampant physical, psychological, and sexual abuse by American forces. Clark pointed out in her book also and detailed, quote, how the CIA's enhanced interrogation program absolutely and definitively led to abuses in the U.S. military as well. Israeli forces have killed six Palestinians, including two women and a teenager, since Friday. In one incident, Israeli soldiers shot dead an unarmed Palestinian mother of six, who they claim did not heed calls to stop at an Israeli checkpoint near Bethlehem in the occupied West Bank. Tension has been soaring in recent weeks between Israelis and Palestinians. Fourteen people have died in Israel in attacks by Palestinians over the past three weeks. Israel has responded by raiding Palestinian neighborhoods in the West Bank, setting up makeshift military checkpoints and conducting mass arrests. Israeli Prime Minister Naftali Bennett, who recently lost his parliamentary majority, has confirmed, quote, the state of Israel has gone on the offensive.
The Palestinian resistance movement of Hamas has delivered a strong-worded response to belligerent remarks by Israeli regime's Minister for Military Affairs, Benny Gantz. Gantz had claimed that the Israeli military faced no restrictions in using force against Palestinians across the occupied territories and was prepared for escalation against them on all fronts. In response, Hamas spokesman Hazem Qasem said, quote, Such remarks cannot frighten the Palestinian people and their resistance, nor would such threats discourage the Palestinian people from keeping up their legitimate study. Scientists around the world have launched a new civil disobedience campaign demanding a climate revolution. In Spain, they joined protesters with Extinction Rebellion, who poured fake blood on the Spanish Parliament in Madrid last week, demanding real government action on climate. Fernandez Valladares, a climate scientist with the Spanish National Research Council, told reporters in Madrid, quote, Climate change is here, and it is causing deaths of tens of millions of people. We, the scientists, are very worried and don't know what other language we have to express ourselves. This is the reason for this rebellion carried out by scientists in 25 countries all over the world. Climate science is not being heard, or at least not being converted into action. Those reports were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radiohc.cu, though there are no new podcasts. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15140, and from 6 p.m. to midnight at either 6000, 6060, or 6100. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Please help me continue producing this weekly show, which I freely distribute to radio stations and the Internet. We will conclude with Sputnik Radio. George and Gayatri Galloway spoke with Steve Sahoni, the Syrian-based chief editor of the Mideast Discourse News, about Syria, regime change, Ukraine, and false flag chemical attacks in Syria. Sputnik Radio. According to a royal house, which helped pay for it, $2 trillion was burned trying to destroy the Syrian Arab Republic and replace it with the alphabet soup of Islamist fanaticism. It was another American plan which went wrong. When Joe Biden was walked back from declaring regime change in Moscow, Secretary Blinken said the US had no intention of such a thing, either in Russia or anywhere. It was reported that this made the horses laugh. Stephen Sahuni is the Syrian-based editor of Mideast Discourse, and he joins us now. Stephen, thanks for coming on board the Sputnik. You must have been very surprised when you heard Anthony Blinken say that the United States is not trying to bring about regime change in Moscow or anywhere else. After the 10 years that your country, Syria, has gone through, that must have come as quite a shock. Yeah, it is a shock because that is what this administration and the administrations in the past work on. And it is regime change. Either they do it by a military invasion like what they did in Iraq, or they do it by supporting radical Islamic terrorist groups like the Muslim Brotherhood, al-Nusra and other, or what they're doing now by supporting uh, fascist groups, Nazi groups like Azov. 
They use the media on demonizing, like they used to demonize the Soviet Union in the 80s and 90s, then Iran, then Iraq, Syria, Libya, and others. And that is what America, America does not want any country to be strong like they're also doing with China. They don't want any ch uh, country on being strong to stand in their face. And that is what America and their number one weapon is, is uh, their mainstream media and the Western media outlets. You mentioned this extraordinary ability to be supporting Islamist fanatic head choppers in one country and supporting Nazis in another country. Does it make you nervous that they may still have one last desperate throw of the dice, uh, the fake weapon of mass destruction, a ploy uh, that they played in Syria? You think that there's a danger they might do that in Ukraine? Uh, first of all, there's no difference between Azov and the radical Islamic terrorists, if you want to call them the Muslim Brotherhood or you want to call them Jabhat al-Nasra or any other, because both of them are fascists. And both of them, they work on uh, making their correct, uh, everyone else uh, is wrong and everyone else should be killed. That's the fascist mentality. In Syria, let me tell you, and my experience in Syria and the Syrian war about the chemical weapons. Us Syrians, before any chemical attack happened, we saw on videos by the terrorist Islamic uh, terrorist groups, video with gas mask and with rabbits, and they used the chemicals that they had in their hand was from the TEK company, who is Turkish, uh, and they uh, used it on the rabbits, and they said in the videos, this is what we're going to do to the Syrians. And they said this to scare. Several days after that, the first chemical attack happened in Syria, and that was Khan al-Assad to try to accuse the Syrian government. After that, the Syrian government asked for the United Nations to send investigators, and they did. And when they arrived in Damascus, the day they arrived in Damascus, East Ghouta happened. Also, the media worked on. And every time there was a meeting for the Security Council or international meeting about Syria, the day before they used to do a chemical uh, attack to accuse the Syrian government, because what they wanted is military invasion on Syria. So if anything happens, in Ukraine, and if any chemical attack happened in Ukraine, it is not the Russians, it is the Azov and the Ukrainians supported by the Americans and CIA and uh, European uh, secret services. The Americans has invaded the east of Syria where all of the wheat is and where all of the uh, oil and gas is. And that's why Syria has the shortage of electricity and uh, fuel is because the Syrian government has been uh, needing to import and buying. While on the other hand, our oil and gas that Syria has enough for the Syrian people are being stolen by the uh, Americans in the east of Syria. In the north uh, west of Syria, where the Islamic fanatics are and the radical Islamic terrorists are like al-Nusra, Tahrir al-Sham, because they keep calling them changing their names, uh, supported by the Turkish regime, uh, Turkey. Also, uh, they have been taking a very important uh, piece of Syria. And uh, that's why uh, also in that uh, city of Idlib and suburbs of Idlib, also Syria grows a lot for crops. So that is the two most important places in Syria and uh, geographically in Syria for the Syrian economy, either the oil or gas or the crops is being taken by either the Turkish and the Islamic terrorists or by the Americans. And that's why 
the Syrian people are suffering of lack of electricity, lack of energy, and also the sanctions by the United States and the European Union on Syria. Stephen Sahuni, thanks for flying with us on board the Sputnik. That excerpted interview is by George and Gayatri Galloway from their program on Sputnik Radio, the current name for the voice of Russia, which is available at rt.com, where you could hear the entire 13-minute interview. YouTube is now blocking everything broadcast by RT or Russia Today, and there have been no new shows posted on rt.com for two weeks. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people like you to listen to international broadcasts, get a global perspective. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows. Please consider making a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at my website along with a podcast link and get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which is now in its 26th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. The shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.